podcast one production. Hi, this is Paul McIntyre. Welcome to the MI3 Audio Edition. I've been a business journalist for 25 years covering the marketing, media, agency and tech sectors. In this series, we talk to industry leaders about the global and local developments that you need to be across this week. Well, welcome, Nick Keenan, the just departed CEO of Red Rooster. You've been around the industry for a long time in the agency and media scene. You've went on to the brand side the last, what, three, five years. Your last gig with uh, Craveable Brands, which owns Red Rooster. It also owns Oporto. There's some interesting things going on in, in that business. But I wanted to talk to you because you've been on the agency and media side. You're at News Corp for a, for a time. You're the boss at Maxis and at, you worked at Mediacoms. You've seen agencies and media. And then you've you've been a big boss on uh, with, the, with the budget per strings and running a, running a business. It's a really interesting conversation about some of the learnings from the outside from Nick Keenan, what he sees looking back in on the on the industry uh, over the last 10, 15 years in the game. So welcome, Nick. I guess we'll just start with your most recent career, uh, what you've been doing, and then maybe some of the learnings you've seen as the CEO. Yeah, terrific. Well, thanks, Paul. Good to be, uh, good to be on the show. Well, I guess the question looking back in, firstly, uh, it's very pleasing to see how transferable the skills are and the quality of the, the work that we were producing in agencies, and they, and they still do. I still see that firsthand with our agencies that service our business. But um, I guess observations when you, when, you, when you look in, firstly, it won't come as any surprise to you. It's, it's certainly got a hell of a lot more competitive. Right. The digital space has certainly brought in uh, all sorts of specialists, all sorts of consultants um, that you know, your traditional agencies, as they've evolved, have had to contend with. So looking back into that and experiencing that firsthand on the client side when you're evaluating the quality. Well, let's just get the, the, the timing right here. So yeah. you, you left agencies, when, how long ago? I left agencies uh, at, at the end of 2014. 2014, and you went straight to straight to client side. So, uh, working as commercial director for Crownbet. That's right. Okay. So, with that bit of context, sorry, it's back a, to the to the observations. Yeah. So you've seen the well, it's almost an explosion of of, of specialists, you know, because of digital and. Some are, you know, uh, 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 certainly um, have a contribution to make that's very valuable, uh, but it certainly makes it difficult for the client in terms of, um, you know, I, I'll, I'll go to where how how challenging it can get for a client. You can you you you're often surprised by the level of capability you've got within your own uh, client side organisations. I, th- I think when I was on the agency side, we always thought that they were. You know, a bit abs- more simple. Well, <laughs> it's all stretched. Ab- well, yeah, they're absolutely stretched. So you, you, firstly, the the departments are in- incredibly stretched. Particularly if you go further upstream to the the C suite, the, the the how stretched the C suite is 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 incredible. And right. and so looking back in and and seeing you know what we thought was the most important, most valuable part of any um, marketing function and and in any business function, you certainly see. Uh, how little time they have to dedicate to evaluating your product and service. Right. Um, that that's certainly one observation. Looking back in from the other side, uh, the other thing is just the, the the challenge on getting the right capability now. In the in the modern landscape of of marketing, your to build your the capability in internal teams is really difficult. So what'll often happen is you'll see that. A lot of these specialty services, and particularly when you get to marketing tech or martech, as it's as it's now called, yes. um, a lot of these uh, shiny new toys will get purchased and, and 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 implemented, but without having the capability internally on the client side to actually get anything out of it. So, right. I often use the the analogy: they buy the you buy the Ferrari, and um, 
and, and it's a manual and it turns up and everyone's learned how to drive automatics and no one can take it out of the garage. On that, because it's a really, you've just touched on a really big point of tension in the market going on right at the moment around technology, tech stacks, MarTech. And so, so what happens in the, in the acquisition of the shiny new toy and then you realise you don't have the capability or resource to drive the car? How, how does it get to that in the first place? Well, you, it gets to that in the first place because one of the most important functions now in marketing is setting up as much of a free marketing channel as possible. So your whole connective tissue at every communication touchpoint from the way that the direct advertising works, the e-com platforms that you've set up, and of course the CRM. Uh, and CRM is in, in terms of that database, creating that database, that data lake if you like, so you've got real actionable insights and what everyone is searching for, which is the longitudinal view of the customer. And so that's what everyone wants, uh, and, and rightly so, because um, you know it's getting harder and harder to reach uh, you know, a collective mass eyeball. And in some cases, that collective mass eyeball is not something that is going to work anyway, because what you're, try- what you're offering now in the marketplace is a customer experience. Right. In the mass market analog age, you could advertise and someone could come in and try that product and that service. And if it didn't, if there was the cognitive dissonance in terms of the experience wasn't what was seen in the advertising, well, it didn't matter as much because it was very difficult for them to provide any feedback and certainly that feedback loop wouldn't go public whereas now that feedback can get a mass audience of its own if it's bad enough (laughs) Uh, if the experience is is too contradictory to what you're positioning in market so that longitudinal view of the customer and and the reason you buy the Ferrari is because there is the promise that that technology and that platform is going to help and do something is going to help and do something it's going to solve all your problems and you're going to get a complete view of single source view of the customer and that's going to lead to day-to-day business decisions it's going to influence your overarching strategies that you write on a hopefully you you're doing on a three-year basis and and not an annual but but a good business strategy over that you're going to get good customer insight in terms of where you sit in the market your brand how your customers are interacting, and it will help write the business strategy of what you've got to do to engage them all. So let's just look at when you joined uh, Red Rooster, for instance, just or your experience hitherto, and then coming into a business like that, what were your priorities as CEO, and how did you view marketing? How was marketing viewed amongst your co-directors and your board, and what did you uh, have to put aside in terms of, oh, I thought it was going to work this way, but actually now that I'm, in, I'm running, this, running this business, it's very different in how things work. It's a really good question. I think, look, firstly, when you come in as a, as a CEO, uh, you know, you've got three critical functions that, um, that, that you know, you'll, you'll, you'll take on that's sort of further upstream from marketing. And firstly is, is business strategy. You, you've absolutely got to get your strategic thinking uh, right and you've got to rely on your subject matter experts within your business in order to assist in that whole process. Everyone's got to be on that journey uh, with you but, but business strategy is, is absolutely critical. Um, if you don't have that right, well, nothing really matters after that. I mean, it, right. and, and you, it, it, all, it all really starts there. And what is the problem that you're trying to solve as a business, as a product, as a, as a customer experience that you're providing? Like what, what, what do you stand for as a business and as a brand and the experience you're offering your customers? And if you don't have that right, well, the, the rest, I'm sorry, is just not going to – no yeah. marketer can, can help you. So that, that, that's sort of first and foremost. Product development and, and innovation are, are absolutely critical and yeah. you spend a lot of time there because – and naturally so because, you know, as I said, at the end of the day, that's what you're putting in your customers' hands. So not surprising, uh, it takes up a lot of time and they're big operational teams. Yeah. Uh, and often you're coming in as a CEO where you're probably not the subject matter expert, but you've got to identify who is and who isn't, 
what the capability is within your team and, and that leads join the to dots, the, right? <laughs> join the dots. And that leads to the third area, which is the company culture. You, 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 um, I've learned, and what the wonderful thing about agencies is there was such a focus on culture. When I was there, when I sort of began in, um, you know, back in, uh, 08 and, um, you know, it's 1908, was it Nick? Yeah. Yeah. I wish. Um, <laughs> Uh, no, 1998, I, I started in digital, but um, that's a whole other conversation. But I think in um, that company culture is is just absolutely critical and you've right. got to drive that. So that's where a CEO's mindset is going to be yes. broadly. Uh, then marketing is, is, is probably now more important than it's ever been because of the opportunities that lie within uh, data analysis and, and, and good research. But what everyone is struggling with is just how much product, how much tech, and how how they're not actually set up in order to use and leverage all those tools and systems and the capability of their own teams. And right. it's very difficult to go and get funding and resources. But the smart businesses out there understand that there is an FTE count that you've got to hire a capability you've got to build internally. There's equally a hybrid model that you've got to look at. You've got to find the right external partners in technology that can avoid a blowout in um, full-time employee uh, costs. So you've got to get that balance between capability internally, which you can't avoid, the external parties that you bring in to, to assist. And you've, you've really, it's just, it's a constant war of attrition of understanding what you need and what you don't. Mm. Um, so looking back in, I guess, at the other side, you know, there's the time and attention that you have in terms of um, to spend on marketing. Um, it is critically important. So every C-suite knows that they need to dedicate time and attention and they should and they, and they do. I guess from my point of view, knowing what I knew about and coming from the other side, I just really looked at the capability agency partners that we had. Right. Um, and I tried to avoid going for a collection and a variance of little independence. And I tried to find that capability within the agencies that we had. And we were very successful in doing it. I mean, a creative agency can give you not just your traditional formats of creative and brand strategy. And um, they've got very good at UX design for right. your e-com platforms. And if you and really, if they're doing all the other creative, they should be doing that for you mm. to create that connective tissue into your e-com platform anyway. And so all your digital assets should have that similar look and feel. The moment you start bringing in multiple parties, that becomes very fragmented and disjointed. What did your structure look like then, your, your agency um, lineup? Or partners, you know, your partners? Because it may not just have been an agency. Very, now, very right? traditional if you, if you really you look at it. But we got a, a very non-traditional um, service out of it. So... Um, but we had your media partner and, um, uh, you know, if I talk more recently in, in Mindshare and WPP, um, we had uh, Leo's as our creative agency. Leo Burnett, yeah. Um, Leo Burnett. And, and we used everything that we – they've got the capability. In, in, and often I think clients, um, when you know, again, looking from – and having the benefit of both sides, I think often the worst of it I saw in 2014 was a client that had a, an SEO specialist, an SEM specialist, right. a social media marketing um, specialist, uh, I mean, by the time the list went, there was 20 people in the room to work right. on a brief. And not surprisingly, the, the quality of the output was, was horrible. It was pretty fractured too, yeah. And everyone was frustrated and, and you've got to avoid that. I think clients have learned that that migraine and they're, they're solving that. But MarTech now is is creating a very similar problem as what social and what yes. you know search was doing back in 13, 14. Well, as CEO though on the MarTech stuff, I think there's, there's probably two distinctions for you. You're, one, you're one of the rare 
breed out of the media and, and agency scene who's gone into a client-side CEO, CEO role. There's not that many that do that. So that's the first thing you've got that's different. But you're also inside as CEO. You'd be empathetic to the marketing media agency um, sort of function and what, what they provide. So you're sort of slightly different to many CEOs, I'd imagine, because of your background. But on that, though, when you're looking at, at MarTech now, how involved were you as the CEO at, at Red Rooster in that conversation or where did it start where did it stop or was it just tell me the top line well look in qsr you like in any business marketing is it's you know it's got to be up there in your in your top three it's it's, it has to be so i was very involved um in that marketing side um i i will always you know um once you've got built the capability internally you've got confidence in those people then you will let them go and do Mm their day-to-day operations. So I, I'd, I'd park that. I certainly didn't get in there and um, micromanage anything, but I would take an active role in every campaign in terms of making sure that, you know, I oversaw what the, the work and, and had my check-ins along the way. So you are very involved and you are meeting with the agencies to understand um, what it is that um, that they've got to solve some of the problems that you that, that are coming up. And, and in one example, uh, the building of um, our e-com app function, um, rather than going to... Uh, the uh, the independent specialist who um, will go and charge whatever they charge to do all you UX designs all that and, and help you with that user experience. I used um, I, I used Leos in that, in that regard, right. and they had a fantastic team that did a terrific job. And and if you know if you go and um, look at some of uh, you know their, their their work, you'll you'll see that. Um, and we were very proud of the work that they'd done. Um, and, and that was just a case of making sure and going and meeting with that agency to see what capability they had. And once you get that confidence going, well, it's better at, they're working on all the other creative. So that, that, that's probably an obvious example Mm. because you want that synergy between all your marketing and media and communication touch points have got to have that connective tissue. So to then bring in someone else who might interpret it a different way and create something different, I just felt that that was, that was wrong and it was better to give it to the crazy. So, so Nick, it's, it's interesting because in, you left agency land in 2014. The pressure was on at that point on agencies. You were, you, you'd seen some of the pressure. It's far more intense now, you could argue, than what it was even when you left. But from the outside now, what is going on in the media and agency sectors that is plowing on so much pressure? And from, and from your position on client side, what do they need to do that starts to rebuild some momentum for them because it, they're struggling. Yeah. I think the remuneration model, as we all know, is, is where it's, it's, it's challenging because ultimately they're a consultative service and, you know, they've got terrific talent and uh, great know-how, good tools and systems. And, and, but the remuneration structure, we, you know, and I was part of that, that process. There was a real race to the bottom. Um, by the time I left, uh, there was still some good uh, money to be made out of the digital space, but I hear that's all evaporated very quickly. And, so the, the the REM structure's got to get back to being charged as uh, as a consultant, and 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 it, and it and it, they've got to be appropriately paid so that they can put the right um, people on the account, and you can get used to the services. I I think um, you know if I look at my own experience with um, say Mindshare and WPP, you know um, within the group structure there was um, there's, there's there's agencies like Cantar, and we use Media Mindshare and Cantar very effectively. Cantar does all that brand work um, and are exceptional in terms of um, the talent that they've got in there. And Mindshare is still absolutely ex- exceptional, equally exceptional in terms of their media buying and their channel planning. And so the challenge for agencies now is A, getting appropriately paid uh, and, and showing the clients the value of the work that they do, um, particularly in this environment where digital and 
the technology space, there's so much pressure on the advertising budget to go into non-traditional areas. So, uh, you know, the advertising budget will pay for often, in, in, and often it will pay for the building of apps, you know, right. which is technically a capex investment. But, um, you know, in, in how did you ca- treat it? How did you treat y- your app? Was it was it capex or was it through the agent marketing budget? That I, I, I can't talk about in terms of just confidentiality in terms of right. how we split that. But but all I'll say is just in, in multiple experiences on, on on client side, look, in one case where it was a CapEx investment in a traditional sense and it, it had its own budget and then in another instance, um, you know, it, it was coming out of um, 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 advertising. But um, So you don't think there's a, there isn't a, there's a remuneration challenge? Do you think capability is an issue for agencies as well in terms of this diversification of services and what they need to be good at across a multiple chain of executions and strategy and thinking and, and channels? So is it just purely the remuneration model? It's not about capability or... or oh, no, no. It's a, look, capability, look I, I look at the challenges they face and remuneration is obviously one of them. Finding where their place in, in, in the ecosystem of being seen as highly valuable in the service they mm. provide... And that's why they're running around. And there's such a breadth of multiple services. The problem is when you try and do 10 or 14 things, you don't do really any of them well. So the smart agencies have locked on, okay, here's our core product. This is what we do. And they've tried to stay as close as possible to that and get appropriately paid for it. And that they will end up being successful. I do think there are opportunities, though, given um, where media buying is evolving um, you know, if you and, I, and I'll explain with a little bit of detail on that where media buying is evolving. Evolving, I mean, if you look at the um, the app stores, that now has become a search environment. That has its SEM and SEO environment. Uh-huh. You can buy your keywords so your app is mm. up the top, and you can have paid advertising so that if someone types in, you know, uh, fast food or if someone types in, you know, online or sports betting, you you've got an ad at the top. So there's a lot of opportunity in in what agencies can take from uh, their their media buying capability and transcend that into relevant areas. And I think those sorts of um, – th- that is that is sort of one example. Where just on that though, Nick, you talk about how the – you know, n- not perhaps diversifying too much, but if you look at – we just talked about technology and MarTech. There's a lot of money, and I'd be interested to see your perspective where that money is coming from, a lot of money being put into MarTech. Is that coming out of the marketing budget that might have gone to working media or might have gone to somewhere else? Is that now going into tech costs, the software as a service for some of these, you know, whether it be Salesforce or Adobe? They're big licks of money sometimes to get that stuff. Is that they need – agencies need to now chasing that, that stuff other than just paid advertising. They're now going, we need to be experts in MarTech and help deploy and execute some of the, the things that, are, that clients are struggling to do with this stuff. Is that, is that relevant? Often it'll go into consultancy fees to teach you how to use the marketing tech. I right. think that's where, um, look, on rare occasions, CapEx, um, what is traditionally CapEx will go into e-com development and that should have its own budget. But look, every client's different and every client will evaluate it and find the money their own way. But yes, there's pressure on marketing budgets and it's safe to say that there are marketing budgets that are taking part of that money that's going into there, either directly in terms of the building of um, a platform or indirectly in the sense that you're paying consultancy, which is comes under a marketing function to teach yeah. you how to use it because it's ultimately a CRM platform. Yeah. So we, we've got a few minutes left and there's a lot still to cover, but you, you just mentioned the word consulting. What's your take on the consulting firms and what they're up to? Did you did you engage them? What sort of projects and, and how do you see that mashup, if you like, between uh, the competitive mashup between traditional consulting companies or traditional holding companies and agency networks and the consulting firms. How do you see that? 
It's certainly, um, it's been, and since I left, it's a busy space. They're mm. building large teams and, and they're certainly building the capability of um, the big consulting firms and they're only going to get better and better at this time. Did you use any? I didn't. But, okay. um, and again, the consultancy and, and firms we looked at, and in particular, um, I mentioned Kantar earlier and I'll, I'll probably touch on them again. They were certainly uh, where we went for that consulting, so that data insight and they are, that, that experience was a was a very positive one. I think, um, again, the talent and capability they got in that team were, were terrific. So the big consulting firms coming in and they've got to compete with the Cantars of the world, which have a lot of experience and have been around, you know, a fair while doing as a specialist in that space. But look, there's no doubt um, your big KPMGs and your Deloitte's and they're going to get better and better. And they also have got deep pockets and, and a lot of resources. So they will probably, I would if I was them, I'd be merging a lot of that um, the valuation on marketing tech and the e-com platforms. You can go and get your e-com platform built with them. They can assist you yes. with a range of different things. So it's going to be hard to compete with that as that convert, increases to converge for clients. Mm. Um, Fascinating area. Um, the one thing I want to get you before you go is when you came into, let's say you came in, into the Red Rooster role, what, what you came in thinking was going to work in a marketing context and a growth context uh, from your experience uh, previously and then on the on the floor looking at it was there a difference was there any surprises was there any uh, I'm coming in with this expectation and it got completely blown away what worked in marketing I guess what worked in driving growth for the business well firstly advertising works so right. um, uh, it's safe to say when and that's I think official the, yeah that's official um, the surprise is just how instant it is uh, I think right. for me. I always thought you know we'd build these flighting plans and we thought you know we'd stage one we get to this level of audience and that will you know, we, we, we forecast this about the growth on the sales data that we've been given by the client, but it is instant. I mean, it varies on industry, obviously. If it's a, if it's a low path to purchase in terms of you've, you've, you've got an average ticket of $16 or something um, with a particular pot, well, and it's, 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 you know, what you'd call real heavy retail, that there's not much thought for the customer having to come in that they just, they want to do it, um, as opposed to buying a car, which has a longer a longer path to purchase and, and I imagine it's less instant. But certainly in my experience in wagering and, and QSR, uh, advertising is instant. Um, I remember going and seeing the CEO of FanDuel in uh, Las Vegas, a guy called Nigel Eccles at the time. They were the biggest, along with DraftKings, the biggest advertisers in America. And this was in October 2015. And um, they'd just literally become the biggest advertisers in America at that point. You couldn't escape the TV, yes, right. outdoor at the airports, the radio, Anything online, it was they just saturated the market. And um, I said, Nigel, uh, is it working? And he goes, Nick, advertising works. And he goes, it's working so well, we can't keep up. And so you and you see the same thing. The, the, the debate around whether advertising, you know, advertising's people aren't watching it, people aren't listening, people. Aren't, it's you. No. You see the contrary. You your channel mix has got really. You've got to be, and this is where it comes down to capability within your agencies because the really smart um, teams that you get. And, that, and also, there's such an obligation on the client side. One thing we didn't touch on is probably before I go that the client has really got to create the environment right. to let the agency in to do their work. Um, they really do. And, and, and you'll get tenfold in return if you, if you do that. You keep them at arm's length and you don't give them the right information. I know it sounds a bit obvious, but I, I was very surprised at the lack of cohesion between partners on when I first Why arrived. Why is that? I mean, I mean, because that's, that's a reflection on the market. That's just not your experience. You see that across. I, I think on the client side, I think we're chiefly responsible for that issue. I think we can have, we're surprisingly fragmented um, from what I've seen in working on client side um, in multiple businesses that 
um, we're surprisingly fragmented. And then it can get, you know, when it's fragmented, it can get political. And you've got operational teams and marketing teams and operations and marketing have got to come together, but often they don't. Or they can, it's challenging environment for them to get that cohesion because they've all got their own KPIs. One's just is trying to be the engine room and doing what they do well. And the marketing are trying to tip and fill in that bucket and put more customers into the funnel for them. And, you know, it, 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 there can be, it's, it's, it's a constant, um, and this is where company culture comes into it, it's a constant uh, focus for the C-suite to get that cohesion, mm-hmm. that connective tissue between departments so that um, there is a culture that, that treats all their partners the same way as they treat each other internally which is making sure everyone has got as much transparency on the information as possible. They've got a very clear brief and we're all running to the, to the one common goal. It's funny, isn't it? You talk about that and, I mean, the, the relationship is so dysfunctional, uh, more dysfunctional than even than when you were still in the business yeah. agency and, and client side. And a lot of it gets put, put, put onto the supply onto the supply chain and to the agencies going, they've got the problem. There's something going on there that we're not happy with. There's a lot of dissatisfaction. But you're saying actually it's... Uh, you work with your agency partners. You will, um, and you treat them uh, in the right way, as many, many clients do. Um, you will uh, get paid in... Uh, as I said, you'll get paid tenfold in return. Um, don't do that. Um, unfortunately, you just you know if things go wrong, you know, you as a client, I think you just got to look at yourself in the mirror a bit. Uh, before I let you go, Nick, what's next? Because you've just uh, you've just left Red Rooster. Um, yep. What is Nick Keenan? Uh, what are we going to see Nick Keenan up to? Look, marketing's in my DNA. I've been in it since '98, so um, I think watch this space in, in getting back into uh, a marketing function in one way or another. I think there's a, a fantastic opportunity. Look, there's a lot of challenges and I don't uh, discount that, but there's a huge opportunity. Um, e- there's an equal opportunity as, as much as the challenges are to redefine that business model, I think, in the in the agency side. And uh, and I'll, I'll look forward to getting back to that. Well, it looks like I have to put a phone call in, 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 in a month or two, Nick. Thanks for joining. Thanks, Paul. Cheers. MI3 Audio Edition was presented by Paul McIntyre. That's moi in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Producer Nick Slater, music by Matt Dwyer. For more episodes, go to podcastone.com.au or search MI3 Audio Edition on Apple Podcasts and hit the subscribe button.